Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to the show where I feature great reads from all around the world. And today we are reading Asia's Stock Markets from the Ground Up by Harold Vanderlind. It makes no investment recommendations. This book won't tell you which stock to buy, but I think it should be required reading for any investor. And I'm going to have to insist you read this book because it is an absolute treasure when it comes to understanding why investing in the stock market doesn't have to be daunting. And in fact, it is so entertaining. You may never look at Asian stock markets the same way again. Do Asian markets move to their own idiosyncratic rhythm? How did the very idea of a stock exchange come to be? And how did the idea of stock exchanges spread, the book says, like molten cheese, slowly and irreversibly? Let me introduce you to another flying Dutchman. Uh, he's that nickname because of his frequent travels around the region. He is the author of Asia's Stock Market from the Ground Up. Harold van der Lin, good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Good of you to join us. So in your day job, you are Chief Asian Equity Strategist at HSBC. And I love that you make this book jargon-free. First up, why do you think there's so much jargon in the business world, Harold? We like to throw around jargon. And if I talk to my clients, which are institutional investors, pension funds, we all have yeah our own technicalities that, to work with. I mean, it would be the same if you're a surgeon in a hospital, right? There are certain terms that you use that uh, everybody in the industry knows, but people outside the industry don't know whatsoever. And that makes sometimes understanding stock markets yeah, a little bit difficult. And um, I, I think it shouldn't. If, if you understand something well, you should be able to use jargon, but also to be explained it without a jargon whatsoever. Love that approach. Your book is so much fun to read. As a writer, can you take us behind the scenes? What were your strategies towards making this book immersive and understandable? Well, I'm very glad that you say it's fun to read because I wanted to make it a very easy, readable book, something that is fun to read. And there are all kinds of anecdotes in it that, uh, yeah, that, that lighten up the whole, uh, the, the, the whole topic. And I think that's important because fun stories allow you to remember things very well. And also, it allows sometimes difficult situations, a market crash or a bull market, uh, things go, uh, uh, markets continue to rally up. Um, if you understand the, the background a little bit, then it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's easier to, uh, if there's a story, to, to, to grasp these concepts. And also, I had a friend of mine, a pilot, mm. who, um, who wanted to know about stock markets. I didn't know anything about stock markets. I don't know how to fly an Airbus or a Boeing. <laughs> um, I, I suspect it's, you put the on button and you go forward and then you lift off or something like that. But I presume it's a bit more difficult to that. And so it is with stock markets. It can be very complex in it. But sometimes if you understand the basics of it, then, then actually that's good enough. And then you can already start to play in it. Errol, why focus on Asian stock markets when so many investors in Asia seem to be focusing on the NYSE, for example, um, you know, North yeah. American stock markets? Well, there's a, there's a very re- uh, good explanation for it. Um, I've looked at Asian stock markets for 30 years in terms of my job. I've been an analyst and I'm a strategist. So I've looked at markets uh, and all kinds of different markets in Asia for a long time. So it's my, my area of expertise. But although Asian investors look at the U.S. market, mm. and a lot of people have written books about that, we see enormous amounts of retailers in Singapore, Korea, Taiwan, India, Indonesia, you name it, mm. all buying Asian stocks. So there's an incredible amount of yeah, retail investors that now are very active in Asian stocks. 
as well. So I thought, hey, that's, well, I can talk about that. I should write a book about that. And uh, that's how it came to be. Why do you say in your book that stock markets have not changed much given their history stretches back so far to 1602? And would you say that the influx of retail traders has changed the stock markets and so has, has uh, you know, algorithms and quant funds and the like? Yeah, I mean, on, on the one hand, stock markets haven't changed a lot because the, the basic principles on how stock markets behave and move and what it actually is hasn't really changed since the 1st of February, 1st of April, 1602, when the very first, what you can call a stock market, was opened up. And that turned out to be in Amsterdam, uh, my, my hometown as well. Mm. Um, so that, 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 uh, the, the principles are not the same. But of course, all kinds of things have tagged on to that. Um, we have now ETF, we got quant funds, um, uh, derivatives. Uh, that, that's relatively new. But if you dig deeper into what, what is a stock market and how should it behave, what drives the stock market? Yeah, actually, things haven't really changed over the last 400 years. It's basically profits and, and, and thinking about the future and discounting the future and stuff like that. So that's, um, yeah, that, that's still the same to a large extent. Harold, if the psychology of investors is timeless because human motivations are timeless, is there a rhyme to stock market history? So there's plenty of speculation about whether those frothy high-tech growth names or FOMO is motivating retail investors or whether faith in celebrity CEOs have been pushing markets to disconnect with the price realities on the ground. Um, There was an interesting article about the Harvard lecturer Vikram Manshwarami, who says the market is showing signs of cracking and bursting. What do you think? Okay, well, in a sense, there are two questions here. Um, the psychology, understanding the psychology is incredibly important because we can look at fundamentals and how, what we think about it, but markets move away from fundamentals at times. Um, and it's always pretty much the same process. We've had this with tulip bulbs in the, in the Netherlands in the 1630s, We had this with tech in 2000. We had this with Chinese stocks in 2006, uh, quite recently Chinese internet stocks. There is also always something that incredibly incites us. And you mentioned FOMO, fear of losing out in a sense. Fear of missing out. Everybody wants to be in there. And you've got to be very careful because, yes, stocks might then continue to rally up, but the, the adjustment can be quite brutal. So it is if people have completely forgotten about things. I mean, um, you're in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Indonesia in 1997. There was a crisis going on, a monetary crisis going on. Nobody wanted to buy Indonesian stocks at the time. So by 2000s, you could buy Indonesian stocks for cheap because everybody said, oh, forget about it, Indonesia's gone. And now it's back. And uh, the market is significantly bigger. So you can, if you understand that you might lose out, but if there's a big rally going on, but you want to be out early, uh, and you understand that if nobody touches something, everybody's negative about it, that might be a good time to go in. That's a great kind of, uh, yeah, uh, understanding of the psychology of the market that can allow you to make, uh, to make money. Now, if you then apply that today, as you said, this half a guy said, listen, the markets are cracking. Hmm. Well, the markets are jittery since the beginning of the year because interest rates are going up. And uh, that's something that we need to digest in, in markets at the moment. And just overnight, we've seen some, some, some turbulence in the U.S. markets. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the things that we have to go through. Those are 
near-term kind of consideration that I think. But for most people, I don't think you should be too worried about these things. Just you've got to be invested in, in, in things, uh, be it property, be it something else. Be it, but I think equity should be in there. Mm. And just put your money in there and take a longer term view and don't worry too much about yeah, interest rates and the near term and inflation and these kind of things. Harold van der Lin is my guest today. He's the author of a great new book out there, Asia Stock Markets from the Ground Up. You know, one of the best things about this book, in my opinion, was a chapter where you explained um, the economy and markets. And you make a very important Mm. distinction between the two and you point to COVID when it first hit and people thinking, gosh, you know, airlines are not uh, flying, shops are closing, the economy is going to tank. And then we are all wondering why has the stock market uh, skyrocketed when we all expected it to move Mm. the other way? So what is it that people need to understand about the link of the health of the economy and stock markets? Yeah, the, the, the funny thing is that the health of the economy, which everybody thinks that's a good indicator of the stock market, doesn't have to be a good indicator for the stock market. Um, uh, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why. In a sense, if the economy is really healthy, then central banks and the government will say, oh, we, we're going to be careful here because things are a little bit overdone. You get inflation and people are going to fret about housing prices going up. So they start to put their uh, uh, foot on the brake. Uh, and if the economy is very weak, then they, they try to stimulate it. And, uh, and it's very often these processes uh, and, and that come through interest rates very often, uh, higher or lower interest rates, that are even more important to markets. So if an economy does pretty good, but they're going to raise interest rates, and that's exactly what happens in the U.S. right now. You can actually see that the stock market is, is coming off on, on the back of that. Well, that's one thing. But the other problem is that in the U.S., Mm. The, the, the stock market is a reasonable, maybe not perfect, but a reasonable reflection of the underlying economy. In Asia, that's not the case. Mm. So in Taiwan, for example, I don't, I, don't really, I don't really look at the domestic Taiwanese economy because all the companies that are listed there, they don't sell into Taiwan or whatever they sell into Taiwan is peanuts. They sell into China, into Europe, into the U.S., that's really important. Mm. Um, so what happens in those economies is more important. And so it is actually to a large extent in Korea and, and some of the other markets. So the Asian markets are not really a reflection of their economy either. So you need to be able to step away from that. And then, of course, you need to understand, well, what, what do I have to look at? And yeah, that's global markets, global trends and, and global bond yields and interest rates amongst others. And hopefully in the book, we, we try to explain that to a certain extent. It's really quite fascinating, that point there of how Asian markets, are, Asian companies and therefore Asian stock markets are different. Um, will reading this book then help mm-hmm. me understand the American stock market and the American economy, which, which seems so important then to everything else? Absolutely. Because as I said, the principle of stock markets is the same. So what we try to do in the book in the very beginning, we look at the history of, the, of stock market. Now, that's, that's nice if you're into history, but what we're actually trying to say there as well is, See, this is how a stock market actually works. Keep it very simple. Think about it as a tug of war. That's what we do in the book. Mm-hmm. With two kind of four teams pulling on a rope. And, and sometimes one team is strong and sometimes the other team is strong. And that makes the, 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 the marker in the middle of that rope move either left or right over time. And that's it. If you understand those teams, you can understand where that marker moves. And so it is with markets. If you understand the two big forces, which is profits and bond yields, if you understand that a little bit, you, you can understand where the market is moving. And you don't need a finance PhD in order to get there. Yeah, indeed, actually, I think very often 
uh, that, that might get it even more difficult for you to understand it. Um, you just need kind of just think about it logically and follow the news a bit, but always go back to that tug of war. And then you say, hey, this, uh, this is right. And with COVID, we saw that profits are coming down. Markets are coming down because, uh, yeah, everybody's worried about uh, the businesses not doing so well, and rightly so. Um, but then uh, the other team, which is bond yields, started to pull. Eh? Governments are putting money into the, into the system, and bond yields were going lower, and hup, stock markets go up. So even in, in extreme situations such as COVID, that kind of simple concept has, has worked very, very well. So I guess inflation would affect well both sides, right, of that tug of war, profits and bond deals. Help us understand, there's so much fear about rising inflation. How does inflation, and when it's rising, how does that affect stock markets? Yeah, well, that's, that's a very good one. So uh, on, on the one hand, inflation is good for companies. I mean, you and I as a consumer, we don't like inflation because we don't want to buy uh, goods in, in, in the store or our groceries and our food. We don't want it to be more expensive. We want it cheaper. Mm-hmm. But if you're the seller of those products, of course, you like it when those prices go up because you make more profit. So inflation, in on the one hand, is good. Um, and that's why normally in the beginning, stock markets are uh, positively reacting to inflation. But at some point in time, yeah, governments step in, and you see that now that the debate in the U.S. They say, well, those prices go up a little bit too fast for our liking. People starting to complain about this. Something needs to be done. And that's normally the central bank who then steps in and says, well, you know, we're going to take some money out of the economy. We just drain it from the, from the economy, uh, and they can do that very easily. And uh, so that people are not buying as much, and they're not driving these prices up so much. And by doing so, yes, that's negative for stock markets. So you see, initially with inflation, the positive response of higher prices is good for stock markets, but then eventually we're going we're gonna to worry about higher interest rates and, and the markets are jittering. It's exactly at that stage that we have arrived over, over the last two months or so, particularly in the US, but in, in Asia to a certain extent as well. The big question on investors' minds is this. With inflation on the horizon, is it possible to think about sectors that are set to benefit? With inflation, with inflation or interest rate rises, yes. There are certain sectors that, uh, that, that benefit usually when interest rates go up. And, and actually, uh, you're going to love them in, in, in Singapore there. Banks. Banks benefit because they take your and my money um, and they don't pay us more interest. But what they do is they, they lend it out, for example, to governments who then pay a higher interest to these banks. Mm. So uh, very often if interest rates go up, banks go up. And that's and we've seen that uh, banking stocks across Asia, but also in the U.S., have actually performed very well on, on the back of that. So that's, uh, that's the sector that you really want to play if, uh, if inflation and interest rates go, uh, go higher. And it's one of the reasons why Singapore has done so well. Mm. We're speaking with the other flying Dutchman. Uh, we have a very famous uh, presenter, radio presenter here, Harold, who's also called the Flying Dutchman. Um, yeah, that, yeah, I heard about it in Singapore, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but you're the first Flying Dutchman I've heard in the world of finance. So great to speak with you. Harold van der <laughs> is the author of Asia's Stock Markets from the Ground Up. It really gives you a tour of uh, the stock markets in the region. You even take us to Japan in Chapter 9, where you say it's the mm. only place in Asia where if you had invested in the stock market in the late 1980s and you kept it at there, you would have lost money. Now, can you share with our mm. listeners why that would be? Yeah, well, at least for a long time you would have lost money, but probably by now not so much anymore because it's gone up a bit again. But this, this is actually a very nice example whereby um, in, the, in the late 80s, the Japanese stock market was going gangbusters. It, it was going up. And the Japanese stock market alone in 1989 was bigger than all other stock markets in the world together. 
So it was massive. Um, and everybody wanted to be in. That was that fear of missing out, that FOMO that we spoke about earlier on. Everybody wanted to be into Japan. Japan was going to be the new uh, superpower on, on the planet. And the stock market was a reflection of that. Companies were trading, if you want to be a bit technical about it, at 70 to 80 or 90 times their earnings, PE multiples. So um, uh, people willing to buy really high prices to get anything Japanese on their hands. At some point in time, yeah, the, 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 the government there said, well, this is going a little bit gangbuster. So they started to cool the market there. Again, central banks taking money out. And that market then fell and fell and fell and fell and fell and fell. And it, it took about 20 years for that to adjust. Um, that's a very painful process if, if you get a lot of money in there. So you, you have to be careful, again, if, if stock markets have a phenomenal rally and they've doubled or tripled sometimes already to say, listen, uh, I'm going to put a lot of my money into this because it, it could well be that over the longer run, yeah, they, they might not perform so well. So you, uh, that's, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's one of the reasons why Japan initially hasn't done so well. But hey, we're 20 years uh, later and Japan is different now. It's all uh, in the past. So uh, there, there's plenty of opportunities to do something nice in, in Japan these days, but mm. not if it was in 1989 here. Yeah. Well, the book takes you on a tour of Asia's stock market. So let's bring it home to Singapore. The Straits Times Index mm. booked a fourth straight day of gains yesterday, rising nearly a quarter percent to 34.28. Hong Kong land leading the blue chip index higher. The STI is now up nearly 10% since the beginning of the year. Singapore is outperforming Tokyo, Seoul, Sydney and Shanghai, all of which are in the red, as well as Hong Kong, where the Hang Seng Index is up 6.5% since the beginning of the year. So, Harold, why do you think that is? Why is Singapore outperforming? Well, Singapore is basically a market. Although it is changing, there's more tech companies coming, it is effectively still chock full with, with banks and, and property companies. And uh, in particular, those banks, they benefit from higher interest rates because of higher inflation. So, the world is talking about high inflation. Central banks saying, we're probably going to raise interest rates, and the markets are anticipating this. So, we've seen bond yields and, and, and market interest rates are more higher already, quite, quite a lot actually. And that's good for these banks, as I mentioned earlier on. They, they take our money for cheap and then put it in, into, uh, into government paper uh, where they get a nice interest rate from, from say, the U.S. government amongst others. So um, that's good for these banks. And, and therefore, Singapore has, has done very well. Uh, it's a stock market that gives you that particular kind of exposure. And uh, uh, so good for, for anybody who's been in, in, in Singapore stocks, uh, uh, for, for the moment. And I think in addition to that, there's also other things playing a bit of a role in, in Singapore. There's, uh, of course, ASEAN is growing. Uh, uh, there's a lot of new kind of themes emerging in, in ASEAN. Indonesia is doing better. There's more investments there. Singapore benefits from, from these things as well. But the real thing is higher interest rates. That, that, that happens. That helps these banks. Got it. This book is fascinating because it doesn't only take you back in time to the history of stock markets. It also takes you forward. So what does this book say about the future of Asian stock markets? We all want to know as the world recovers from COVID-19, it looks like a different world altogether. So what is the future of Asian stock markets that you map out? Yeah, I mean, if there's one message in the book, I would say actually is that people should be in equities and should be willing to think about this in the longer run. And then you have to look a little bit at a longer run. Now, normally, the further you look into the future, the more uncertain it is. But there are certain trends in the world and themes in the world that we know pretty much for certain. Um, I know for certain that in 10 years' time, and I really hope this is not the case for you, but in 10 years' time, I will be 10 years older. 
Um, so we know, for example, demographics, people are aging. And we can, we can think that's good or bad. It doesn't really matter too much. But that means that people are going to consume differently. So demographics is a, is a theme you can invest in because certain companies will benefit from that. Think about insurance companies that, or pension funds uh, that people will have to build up their own pension, right? And, mm-hmm. Or companies that make uh, equipment for people to, to remain mobile. There's a big company in, in Japan doing that uh, for older people to remain mobile. So that's a theme. Uh, other themes are, uh, yeah, changes in technology, the rise of smart cities, and uh, these kind of things. So by looking at the, at the future, using those themes, yeah, then you can say, okay, this, this, yeah, the future makes kind of a lot of sense. And it gives you a, a bit of a, uh, yeah, a travel destination, if you want to put it like that. And it also allows you to say, okay, I'm investing in, say, demographic themes, but, or technology themes. Yeah, in the meantime, inflation and interest rates go up and down. That's fine. But uh, in the long run, I'm probably in the right corner of the market. It gives you a certain yeah, kind of uh, security or sense that you have made the right investments as well. So thinking about the future into these themes, and that's exactly what we do. We, we talk about these themes. Yeah, it gives you a bit of an idea what you should be uh, putting your money in. And that's, um, yeah, that's really important. And do you also talk about the companies to invest? Do you also talk about the companies that could be thought of as value companies uh, if, if we're looking at, you know, a ground-up approach to Asia stock markets? Do you, do you look at some companies yeah. in these countries? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, from the ground up, which is the subtitle to the book, means partially because I travel around a lot, so I literally have, have been at... Uh, in central China or Korea in India and in Indonesia, you go to all kinds of places and visit factories. So you, you see what happens with these companies on the ground. But um, yeah, you've got to look at individual companies as well. You can, of course, buy ETFs or funds. That's a, an easy way to outsource all the decision-making to, uh, to pr- professionals who can do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you can also go and, if you're in the internet, pick, pick stocks yourself and then yeah, look at value names, um, stocks that are forgotten in the market. Uh, people don't look at that at the, at the moment. Um, uh, but then you've got to be able to do your homework a little bit as well, because right. if you just invest in stocks, that can be a bit risky. So it's normally better to diversify, at least buy quite a few different stocks. Um, and if you don't want to really do all that homework, you just buy an ETF or a fund and you get diversified straight away. Absolute pleasure speaking with you. Your book is a joy, Harold. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Michelle. He's on his day job, Chief Asian Equity Strategist at HSBC, joining us as the author of Asia Stock Markets from the Ground Up, Harold Vandalin. That's my book pick for you today. Asia Stock Markets from the Ground Up should be required reading for any investor. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.